0: in person, please visit our website at rubinmuseum.org. We are proud to be partnering with Sharon Salzberg and the teachers from the Interdependence Project and the New York Insight Meditation Center. In the description for each episode, you will find information about the theme for that week's session, including an image of a related artwork chosen from the Rubin Museum's permanent collection. And now, please enjoy your practice. Hi, everyone. We're talking about being whole this month. And so I hope you made it here in one piece. It looks like you did. And believe it or not, next time we see each other, if you're here next week, it will officially be spring. <laughs> Just take that in for a moment. It might help you on the on the track home. So as I mentioned, we're talking about being whole this month, and we're using the visual element of the fractal to symbolize that. And um, when we see fractals in nature, we uh, often will see them uh, in a snowflake or frozen water. Uh, we'll see them in um, plant life, like the fern frond. Or mm-hmm. we'll see them even uh, along the shape of a coastline. And a fractal is a repeating pattern that, um, that builds uh, in, in terms of its size. And you can see in the most minute detail of a fern frond, the same exact shape that you see in the actual um, fern itself. And this reminds us of the relationship between the whole and the part, and is a metaphor for us this month in uh, terms of the Buddhist teachings and um, what we can find even if we sit with just one uh, teaching in particular and how fruitful um, and and deep an experience that can be in and of itself. Um, today we are looking at a mandala, and uh, mandalas typically are a kind of, uh, maybe not exactly a, a, an exact representation of a fractal, but they certainly evoke that experience of looking at a small detail and, and seeing that resonate throughout uh, the rest of the image. And um, certainly the shape of a mandala is um, repeated in that same way. So we have the center core and then kind of circles and squares around one another uh, concentrically until they reach the outside. And um, a mandala is, is, uh, from one perspective, thought to be a kind of a palace that you enter, really through your mind, not necessarily a physical place, but a place that you, that um, a practitioner might go specifically for meditation. So it's interesting to consider uh, today in this setting, though we're we're coming at this from a different a different way. But um, the mandala is, um, in fact, this one that we're looking at today includes four different mandalas within one. So you see that these four are distinct from one another. Um, And the um, experience of the practitioner would be to picture themselves inside this kind of layout of a palace. So what you're seeing here is sort of like the bird's eye view of uh, four palaces that make up one. And so you can see the doors, the four doors, four directions, um, uh, the four gates that uh, you can enter through, and work your way towards the center. And at the center of each mandala is a um, is the sort of most divine being or the most divine uh, loca- physical location there. And that's true for each of these four segments here as well as the, the uh, overall mandala. So if you look at the very center of uh, what we're seeing here, um, there is the red Buddha Amitayas in the middle there. And um, this is the four mandalas of the Vajravali cycle. And at the center of each one is uh, a different uh, representation. So we have clockwise from the bottom left, we have Vajrapani, and then above that, Vajra Datu, and then Shakyasima, or Shakyamuni Buddha, the, the historical Buddha some refer to this figure as. And then lastly, on the bottom right, Marichi. So Sharon Salzberg is here with us almost for the whole month. It's so great. And she's talking with us about this idea of being whole and... Um, this metaphor that we're looking really quite deeply into this month. Of course, uh, many of you know Sharon by now. Anybody new here today? I'm just curious. Oh, good, great, welcome. Um, so Sharon is the co-founder of the Insight Meditation Society of Barry Massachusetts. She has been studying and teaching for many years and is the author of um, really wonderful books. If you want to, uh, if you're new to this and you want to take your um, practice. Uh, To another level, and you want a great book uh, to help you do that, Sharon's books are excellent uh, for practitioners experienced and brand new. So please welcome her, Sharon Salzberg.
1: It's so beautiful, isn't it? I love looking at that. Hello. Snow. (laughs) I was supposed to go to uh, Massachusetts on Sunday and back here yesterday. (laughs) So everything switched. (laughs) I didn't make it to Massachusetts at all. And I had one of those days, many of you probably did as well yesterday, where I didn't leave my apartment. (laughs) It was quite interesting. Snow, so next week is spring. Maybe we'll talk about renewal <laughs> next week. Um, so I was thinking, uh, and also looking at that very beautiful piece of art, that often when one thinks of a fractal, what we think of is repetition. Right? And repetition is a very interesting notion because it The aliveness of something that's repetitive depends on the degree of our presence, of our observation, of our interest. Because mostly, we tune out. We rely on some kind of novelty in order to feel alive, in order to really feel captured by something. Rather than looking at the the quality, the degree of our awareness, the quality of our awareness really to, to see what makes this uh, an experience of connection and fulfillment or one of just kind of skipping over or waiting or boredom or, or whatever it might be. So I also thought of um, this time in 1984 when uh, I co-founded, as, as you know, a retreat center in Massachusetts, the Insight Meditation Society in this little town called Barry. And In 1984, we invited a a Burmese meditation master named Saira Upandita to come visit and lead a three month retreat. And we'd never met him before, but we heard he was a very great teacher, so we invited him. And um, I sat that retreat, as did many of my friends. And he was a, a really tremendous, a great, great teacher. He also turned out to be really kind of intense and demanding and fierce, even ferocious. you know? And it was like, every once in a while, I'd look at him and think, what did we do? You know, like, although uh, he and I had a you know, really great relationship. And we were seeing him six days a week for each of us individually for just these, these short meetings where we were supposed to describe our practice and he would get some feedback, he would give us some feedback um, about that description. So uh, I began my meditation practice actually in January of 1971. So it had been almost 14 years by the time he appeared. And I hadn't worked with a teacher for a few years at that point. And uh, in addition to um, Saro Pandita being kind of intense, he also. Uh, he had a teaching style which involved a lot of repetition, uh, both in his discourses. sometimes it would be like night after night, after night, after night, like, really? <laughs> Same topic, you know And also in those meetings, um, he would just get on a thing, and it would last for who knows how long usually, until something shifted inside of you. And then he'd go on to some other thing. But um, we got into a thing very quickly where I would go in and I would describe something, maybe something beautiful and peaceful and delightful happening in my meditation practice. And he would look at me and he would say, well, in the beginning, it can be like that. <laughs> and I'd think, I'm not a beginner. <laughs> you know, I've been practicing for almost 14 years, but there was nothing to say. You know, So that was it. That's the only thing he said was, in the beginning, it could be like that. And maybe I'd come in the next day and I'd describe something very challenging and difficult that I was grappling with my practice. And he would say, well, in the beginning, it could be like that. And I think I'm not a beginner. you know. And then day after day after day after day, whatever I described, he had one answer. Well, in the beginning, it could be like that. I even left his room at one point in some frustration, thinking, I wonder how come everyone said he was such a great teacher? You know, he never says anything. All he ever says is, well, in the beginning it can be like that. I'm not a beginner. And at one point, I felt like there was a giant neon 14 in my brain, like, flashing at him. I'm not a beginner. i practicing for 14 years. And then one day, something did shift inside of me. And I thought, oh, that's not an insult. Remember, like, beginner's mind. And it's supposedly good to be a beginner, to feel like a beginner. That, you know, when we're at the beginning of something, we are open and interested and uh, we're not so jaded and, you know, not so caught up in expectations, and, which I frankly was at that point, you know, like, oh yeah, I know what comes next, or oh yeah, I just have to get through this and then there's that, or, you know, or, um, oh, I've seen this before, or whatever it is. And uh, I was a long way from the days when every single breath was different, even though it was just the breath. And it was like, I got it. And I thought, oh, it's good to be a beginner. That's actually what you want. It's not the state that you awkwardly start out with and circumvent as soon as you can, you know? That's actually a good thing. So, of course, the day I got it was the day he stopped saying it. <laughs> and he went on to something else. But I think we can be so much that way in terms of meditation practice. For one thing, there are methods, there's guidance, there, there are tools. And it's easy to think, oh, it started with that. Why is that still here? You know, like, that's like 101. I should be way, way beyond that now. And, and it's confounding to us that, in a lot of ways, the instruction never changes. We change. And our understanding changes, and our experience changes, and our ability to let go changes, and our, um, interest in what's happening, even if it's not like flamboyant and dramatic. It changes. Our ability to be with adversity changes. Our compassion changes. But it's still often like sit down and feel your breath, really? We used to joke, um, my colleagues and I, that this was like the easiest thing in the world to teach on a certain level. I mean, not like Upandita level, because he got it in me. It was like amazing. He just picked that up that sort of jadedness or uh, half-heartedness. And would I have gotten it myself? Eventually, I actually do believe that, because I really believe in the integrity of one's practice and that these things do get revealed to us. But he got it a little sooner, I think, than I got it. And he really, you know, he made sure I understood it. Um, But apart from that, you know, we used to joke like, yeah, you only ever say like one thing, you know, like be aware of it or could you be mindful of it? It's not a lot to learn in terms of, you know, the the scope of your instruction. But it's not that easy to do. And uh, it's not that easy to be that simple for one thing. And to do the same thing again and again with uh, that kind of Actual intensity, presence, you know, wholeheartedness. I do look back in those days when I first began, which is now 45 years ago or more, my meditation and I think, it felt like a miracle to be aware of a breath. It was like such a big thing, like wow. And so amazing and something you'd like talk about, like I felt little tingles or whatever and I think, oh, my God, I can't believe we talked about that. But wow, it was so extraordinary. And that spirit is not dependent on the object. It's not dependent on the tool or the technique. That's dependent on what we're bringing forth in in the process of paying attention. And so that's our opportunity with repetition, with simplicity. It's our challenge, of course. And it's our opportunity to really arrive and reawaken and kind of get there again. So you have your inner Upandita now, who uh, if you start feeling like, eh, yeah, you know, I know what's coming next, or I can't believe I'm still with the breath, or, or whatever, you know, you, have, uh, you can Google him to get a visual. Uh, you know, you have that inner, inner voice now that can just remind you of like, it's all right if this is it. You know, how are you with this? OK, so let's sit. See if you can sit comfortably. Your back can be straight, but not strained or overarched. Close your eyes or not, however you feel most at ease. If you start to get really sleepy, it's fine to open your eyes and continue on. Start, if you like, by listening to sound, whether it's the sound of my voice or other sounds. Just let the sounds wash through you. and bring your attention to the feeling of your body sitting, whatever sensations you discover, Bring your attention to the feeling of your breath. and In this system, it's just the normal, natural breath. You don't have to try to make it deeper or different. You find that place where the breath is clearest for you or strongest for you. Bring your attention there and just rest. See if you can feel one breath. without concern for what's already gone by, without leaning forward for even the very next breath, just this one. If you like, you can use a quiet mental notation, like in, out, or rising, falling, to help support the awareness of the breath. If you find your attention wandering, you get lost in thought, you fall asleep, don't worry about it. We say the most important moment in the whole process is the next moment after you've been gone, after you've drifted away. It's the moment of recovery, of recapturing our attention, first letting go of whatever has been distracting, letting go gently. And then with kindness toward oneself, just returning your attention to the feeling of the breath. So if you have to let go and begin again a few billion times in the next few minutes, it's totally fine. Thank you. Be well, be happy, see you next week.
0: That concludes this week's practice. If you'd like to attend in person, please check out our website, rubenmuseumorg slash meditation to learn more. Sessions are free to Rubin Museum members, just one of the many benefits of membership. Thank you for listening. Have a mindful day.